Welcome to the Vatican Briefing, a new podcast from the National Catholic Reporter. Launching now as Pope Francis is opening a major summit that could determine the very future of the Catholic Church. My name is Joshua McElwee. I'm the reporter's news editor and a former Vatican correspondent who has covered Pope Francis up close and around the world for the first eight years of his papacy. And hi, my name is Christopher White. I'm the reporter's current Vatican correspondent, and I've been covering this synod since it began in Rome in 2021. Together, we're co-hosting this one-of-a-kind briefing from Rome. Just days from now, Pope Francis will open the four-week Synod of Bishops, a gathering of some 450 bishops, priests, and laypeople that is expected to discuss big issues, such as the possibility of women serving in ordained Catholic ministry, married priests, and how the Church can better include LGBTQ Catholics. Each week during the Synod, we'll be in your feed with the latest updates from the gathering and a featured interview with an expert who will help guide us through the big news of what's happening in Rome. Later in this show, we'll be joined by Dr. Catherine Clifford, a theology professor at St. Paul University in Ottawa, who is an expert on the Second Vatican Council and part of the first group of lay people ever appointed as full members of the Synod of Bishops. And aside here, if terms like Second Vatican Council and Synod are new to you, don't worry, we'll unpack what all of this means later in our discussions. But before we get to our interview, let's talk a bit about what's going to be happening in the next few days. We're recording this on Friday, September 29th. Tomorrow, Saturday morning, Pope Francis will hold a ceremony in St. Peter's Basilica to create 21 new cardinals of the Catholic Church. These are the men who one day will vote for Francis's eventual successor. That evening, the Pope will preside over an ecumenical prayer vigil for the Synod in St. Peter's Square. Among those expected to attend are Orthodox Patriarch Bartholomew and Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury and head of the Global Anglican Communion. Chris, maybe we can back up here a bit. What is a synod? What makes this one a little different? And how has it been organized in ways that are interesting? Well, I think if we really want to go back to the beginning, we can go back to the the Acts of the Apostles and look at the early church. But for this context and our present day moment, we can go back to the end of the Second Vatican Council in 1965, when Pope Paul VI really established the synod as a way of hoping to bring about more collegiality among the church's bishops. And they've existed since then in various forms, but I think the broad consensus is that during the papacies of Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI, synod sort of began with a script and a conclusion that was already written. And Pope Francis has really brought new life and a a dynamism to the synod process and used synods to really push through his pastoral priorities and at least gather the church around particular themes that are near and dear to him. And this one, of course, looks dramatically different even than the ones that Pope Francis has held up until now. And you, of course, have covered the synods under Pope Francis since the beginning. And I think we're both very eager to see how this plays out and what's going to be different, what's going to be new. And so I think we've got an exciting month ahead of us. And something that our listeners might be familiar with is this three-year process the Pope has inaugurated. There were first these diocesan consultations in local dioceses across the world, really open-ended, asking Catholics what the Church should be focusing on these days, what issues are important to them. That was followed by a, a continental phase process, continental gatherings, which I think you covered the one in Europe a little bit, Chris. And now we are at the opening of the full part one. There's going to be two of these synods, one this month, October 2023, and then a year later in October 2024, a second part, another synod in Rome. It's a very interesting process model, and it brought up a number of issues that the Church has not discussed in a long time. Yeah, I think some have said it's the largest 
consultation exercise in human history, and not just a call for Catholics to be involved, but really anyone who feels like the Catholic Church has something to say in the world, the Pope has extended the invite to them to participate in this process. As you mentioned earlier, we've got a number of hot-button issues, and in the spirit of that very first synod, when Pope Francis told the bishops in 2014 to, to speak freely, this is a moment in the church where we've got leaders from around the world, and especially, and I think most importantly, not just bishops, but representatives of all of the people of God, to come and bring things to the table to talk about what the church's mission should be in the future, in the 21st century, and how its structures might be more participatory for all of the members and not just the bishops. That's a big ask. It's going to be, I think, a time of we'll see some debates, some contentions, but I think the Pope is okay with these debates. And one of the things I'm curious about is in 2019, at the end of the Amazon Synod, we saw the bishops say, we want married priests in certain areas, and we want the female diaconate to be restored. And then after that synod, the Pope, I would say, effectively punted. He didn't say no, he didn't close the door, but he didn't answer those discussions. So will we get a Pope who is maybe a bit cautious, a bit shy, or will we have a Pope that is, as we've seen him in recent months, sort of in a hurry, recognizing that we are 10 years into this papacy and that the clock is ticking and wanting to push through more reforms? I'm very interested to see the Pope's own disposition. I think that's a very interesting point. It's also interesting, I know you and I were at dinner with a synod member last night, and it seems to me that they also don't quite know how this is going to go. You know, they know generally what the calendar will be, what the schedule will be like, but they don't quite seem to know what issues might come forward, how strongly some people might speak on certain issues, or if other issues that haven't been spoken about might come forward as well. And that's a very interesting dynamic, and I think it's something that points to what Francis is trying to do, which is to create this space for open conversation maybe in a way that we haven't really seen in the Catholic Church for generations or even since the Second Vatican Council. It's kind of interesting. I think one thing that is important, this is a podcast, so it doesn't really serve visuals very well, but one thing listeners might want to think about is how these people are going to be having this conversation. And for the first time ever, we're going to see participants, bishops and lay people, sitting and having conversations in round tables which is a, an intentional choice to facilitate greater conversation. Rather than in the past, these delegates all sat in this sort of stadium-style seating with the Pope up front and then the cardinals and the bishops and then the very few lay representatives that had been invited in at the very, very back of the room. I think by having people in a round table, it's a, a very clear sign that everyone in the room has something to say. They're at a level playing field. And that's going to be a new dynamic that will be fun to watch for as well. Maybe one more thing before we break and go to our interview with Dr. Clifford. Chris, today here on Friday, you're able to interview one of the new cardinals of the Catholic Church, Cardinal Pierre, who is the Pope's ambassador to the U.S. Do you want to offer our listeners any take on what he said or kind of what this ceremony is like for these new cardinals? Sure. So Cardinal Pierre is a 77-year-old man from France. He's a Vatican diplomat. He served in Uganda and Haiti and Mexico and and most recently the United States. And I think one of the things he's had to do is sort of take the Pope's message and try to bring it home to the U.S. church and get U.S. bishops on board in a church that, as we've seen over the past 10 years, has been a bit slow to embrace Pope Francis's agenda. And one of the things he said to me is, bishops need to listen to the Pope all the time. 
And he was very clear, let, let bishops be bishops and let the Pope be Pope. Very clear in who the boss is here. And, you know, he's a diplomat. He's used to working with different, sometimes cranky f- figures <laughs> as a diplomat. And it's his job to try to restore unity. And I think that's what we heard from him today. He was elevated as a cardinal over the weekend. And I think these are moments in which the Pope is really putting his imprint on the future of the church. These are men who will one day elect his successor. And I think it's interesting to hear that perspective from him going into the Synod, in which you're going to have people from all different perspectives talking with lots of of different opinions. But for him, dialogue is key in union with, with the Pope. I liked one phrase, I think, if I'm quoting this correctly, that Cardinal Pierre told you, the Pope is the Pope and Bishop should always listen to the Pope. Exactly. Yes. He didn't mince words there. Well, thank you. And I think now we'll take a break and we'll come back to you with Dr. Catherine Clifford, who is part of the group of the first ever lay people appointed as members of the Synod of Bishops. We're joined on the Vatican Briefing today by Professor Catherine Clifford, a professor of systematic and historical theology at St. Paul University in Ottawa, Canada. Dr. Clifford is a recognized expert on the Second Vatican Council and the author of a number of popular volumes exploring the Council's work. Her latest was the incredible Oxford Handbook on Vatican II, co-edited with Villanova University theologian Massimo Fagioli. Professor Clifford is here in Rome as part of the first group of laypersons ever appointed to the Synod of Bishops as a full voting member. She'll be taking part in the month-long assembly and then eventually voting on the Synod's final document. Dr. Clifford, thank you so much for joining us here on the Vatican Briefing. Thanks. It's really, I'm delighted to be with you today. We're going to have a number of deeper questions for you, but I I thought maybe at first we could ask, how does it feel to be one of the first ever lay members of the Synod? How does that resonate for you? (laughs) It's pretty remarkable. I think I said when we were chatting earlier, I have to pinch myself every once in a while, because this is something I never could have imagined seeing in my lifetime, and it's quite remarkable. I have to say also, though, I spent some time after I was invited to be here over the summer months in prayer and retreat, and I come here with a sense of deep gratitude and peace. I think this is a really, it's clearly a historic moment, but it's a very essential moment for the future of the church, and I feel quite honored to be here and to be a witness to that, but also to contribute in some small way. Are you willing to share a bit about how you learned about your appointment or what the initial feeling was for you? Yeah, I was actually approached by one of the Canadian bishops who asked if I would be open to or even if it would be possible for me to free myself up for four weeks in the middle of an academic year. (laughs) to be present and to participate in the Synod. And I said, of course, we would do. And my colleagues in the faculty have been superb in helping to make this happen and support me also because I'm leaving some of my students behind for several weeks. But so this bishop put forward my name. As you're aware, each continental region was invited to nominate 20 non-Episcopal persons who could serve as participants in the Synod, and the Synod office chose half of those delegates. So the Canadian Conference of Bishops nominated 10 persons, and the U.S. Conference did the same, and the Synod office has invited six American delegates and four from Canada. 
we're sitting here just a few paces from where you'll be meeting outside of the Vatican here. And you're here already. You've got your lanyard identifying you as a member of the Synod. And beyond yourself, how significant would you say this is in terms of a historical development for Pope Francis to establish full voting members that are lay? I think there's two things going on here. First is, in the Western Church, we have let synodal practice and culture die. I talk about these as being a set of muscles in the ecclesial body that were allowed to atrophy. And when Francis indicated his intention to invite the whole Catholic world (laughs) to just sit down and begin this conversation and to take the baptized seriously also as part of the synodal process, I thought, I have to say I was a little skeptical because I said, we have no way. We have no experience of this. And I know that there have been mixed results at the grassroots at the initial starting of this, but he's taken a wager that we will learn to do this in the doing. We learn by doing. And he also said, he, the first time he talks about synodality, he was, had been reading some of the theological work done by the Orthodox Roman Catholic International Dialogue and said, look, other churches have kept this practice alive better than the Catholic Church. So this is something we can learn and receive from other churches. We don't have to do it in the same way, but we know, and we know through our 50 years, 60 years now of interchurch dialogue, that we need to re-examine all the governing structures and practices of our church. And what's weakest in Catholic practice has been the participation of the baptized. And this is not untraditional. This was a feature of the life of, in the early church. And Vatican II invited us to, to rediscover the importance of our baptismal vocation. I'm here as a baptized Christian. That's the basis of my mandate to participate. And I think that in itself is very important. And I've spent my life teaching in the field of ecclesiology, helping students understand the church, what it is, its structures and practices, but I want them to understand their dignity as baptized Christians. And so what we're doing is both reviving the collegial synodal practice at every level of church life, but also adding that ingredient of lay participation, which is really fundamental. It doesn't diminish in any way the oversight of the bishops. They are the ultimate They take the authoritative decisions, but they historically must always consult competent persons and listen to the life of the faithful, because what they teach is essentially the faith of the whole church. So the whole church needs to be implicated in the process of that discernment. And we're really moving, taking very, I think, hesitant steps, but in a remarkable way, we're moving in that direction. You talk about this this learning process. It is a learning process, yes, but there are high expectations for a lot of you know the people of God, particularly when it comes to the role of women's ministry in the life of the church and LGBTQ issues. How are you thinking about those issues that are where there are high expectations, where we also expect some significant debate? You know, as as a member, what is going through your mind going into this? So I think it's clear 
and there was a consensus from every continental region that these are significant issues, that the people of God, there are, there's, I think we, what we hear is the pain and the woundedness of many women who serve very generously and whose gifts are not fully integrated into the life of the church, and of many families who have family members, colleagues, we have students. Uh, friends who belong to the LGBTQ community and who've been also wounded by the attitudes and the language of the church teaching. I think we have to hear those voices. I don't think that the Synod is intended to resolve any of those issues in a definitive way, but it needs to acknowledge the reality and, and set the course for how we will face those questions going forward. I think that's the essential thing, so that the conversation remains open. Chris mentioned a couple of the issues that people are looking at the Synod with expectation. I'm curious, are there particular issues that touch your heart, maybe that aren't among those most cited in this conversation that you're bringing with you into the Synod? First, I think if you look at the Instrumentum Laboris, the working document, it's quite overwhelming. It's a massive agenda. I don't know what I could possibly add to it, but these questions of, I think, re-examining the ministries, the ministerial structure in the church, and the diversity of ministries in the church is a very important one. Understanding that in a synodal church, we need a style of leadership that's different, and this has important implications for the future of priestly formation that even we've experienced an explosion of lay ecclesial ministries in the last 60 years that Vatican II didn't foresee at all, but they haven't been integrated as stable features of the life of the local churches yet, so that these lay men and women don't experience the precarity of employment that most of them live with. So there's a host of questions there, and I think it's in that question that we need to have that conversation of, Look at so many women are doing diaconal tasks. Does, is this not a moment to consider a restoration of women's diaconal ministries? That's one way of, I think, into the question. The other questions that I'll be one of part of one of the small groups that's talking about ecumenism. So I've spent my life also looking at interchurch dialogue, and I sit presently as a member of the Methodist Roman Catholic International Commission. Uh, we're meeting the week following the Synod in the beginning of November, and we're looking at what are the next steps we can take together as churches, because we've grown significantly. We've come to understand and know each other much better. We've discovered, we've cleared up a lot of misunderstandings and identified a lot more consensus on doctrinal questions. And people are looking to the churches for some concrete steps. Even if we're not moving into full communion tomorrow, we're not where we were 50 years ago. And so this new stage of unity needs some kind of concretization. So what will that look like? So I think we need to recommit to some of those things, to doing together as much as is possible with, uh, with other Christian churches. We're on the eve of the Synod, and in recent weeks, we've seen this sort of back and forth over how the Synod will be communicated to the outside world around us. 
And you're a historian of the Second Vatican Council. Are there any lessons that we can take away from that experience about what happened during those years and in the Basilica and, and how that was transmitted to the world? Well, uh, you, you, you probably are, are aware that at the beginning of the Second Vatican Council, all the bishops and experts had to take an oath of secrecy and they weren't to divulge anything that was being discussed and debated in the, in the hall. Still, there were daily press conferences and things leaked out and the story of Xavier Rin publishing a journal and, and other journalists did pre- uh, publish weekly chronicles. So I think people need to understand that this process is intended to be a very frank conversation with a set of sort of Chatham House rules so that people can be free to express themselves. I don't think it's our place or my place to say who said what at what table, but it's pretty clear to anyone who wants to read what our agenda is, what we're discussing from day to day. And I think I know that press is invited to the beginning of each new series of themes and to the opening session and information session and liturgies at each of those moments in the synodal process. Of course, I'm happy to share, and I think we ought to communicate effectively about the process itself, but I'm not to, in a sense, tell tales on on each other. I think people can understand there will be disagreements, there'll be tensions, and that's just all part of the process. I'm very impressed at the preparation and the focus on process that many of us are leaving this afternoon to go away for three days of retreat. The intention here is to make this an extended spiritual conversation. There's not a lot of speech making here. And the focus is to speak my truth and to hear the truth that others have to share and to, and to discern together where is the Spirit moving us and to see what kind of consensus might emerge from that process. This is a very different mode of operating, and I think it's a bit of a, I use the word apprenticeship. I think it's a school for all of us to learn the habits of becoming a listening and discerning church together. We know you have to get going to a meeting here in a moment, but maybe if I could ask one final question. I'm thinking kind of big picture, beyond this synod, beyond the specific issues or expectations for what this synod might achieve. How do you consider this new process the Pope has put in place for this two-year consultation, involvement of Catholics around the world? How do you see that in the model of the Second Vatican Council, or is there something in that is changing the way the Church operates? I think it's remarkable. It's something very remarkable. I don't think that another leader could have done it who didn't have the experience of the Ignatian tradition. So I think even the process of spiritual conversation that's being proposed here is the fruit of a long learning process by the Jesuits who've been working to find uh, more contemporary ways of living out the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. And it's a method that's been tested in groups of lay people and religious orders that have been looking for ways to practice communal discernment. It's a lovely gift to the church, and I know other churches are watching us because they too know that they have, may have synodal structures, but they may not always work in, in the best and most effective way. And so 
It's a huge experiment, but I think it's a remarkable one. And there's a tremendous tradition of spiritual wisdom behind what we're going to embark upon. Thank you so much. That seems like a good place to wrap up the interview for now. Let us just say thank you so much for joining us here on the Vatican Briefing. We're really grateful and good luck as you go into the Synod sessions next week. Thanks. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you again to Dr. Catherine Clifford for joining us on today's edition of the Vatican Briefing. I really enjoyed her placing the Synod in a wider historical context and talking about what it means for the Pope to to appoint lay members for the first time ever in the history of the Synod of Bishops. What did you think, Chris? Yeah, I think she was a total gift because she was able to don her historian's cap, but also point us toward the future. And one of the things she said that stuck out to me was that There are synodal muscles that have atrophied in the church. And because of that, we're going to see a real learning curve going into the the coming weeks here. There are going to be members who are trained in communal discernment and those that are not. So I'm going to be interested in following how that develops with those that are in the room. We've talked about how in past synods, people read from a script effectively, and that set the tone. And here we're going to have people around round tables And that's going to provide a different dynamic. And some people are going to be more attuned and accustomed to that, and some others won't. So that'll give us something interesting to follow. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And it's interesting that she has this historical perspective and is now taking part in a historical event. It's quite interesting. Chris, could you remind us a bit of what the structure of the Synod is going to be like in this first week? As we're speaking, the Pope is about to take part in an ecumenical interfaith vigil on the Saturday evening before the Synod. And then I know that the delegates are going on a retreat together. And then what can we expect from there? You know, it's so interesting. When Pope Francis announced this synod in 2020, even before it had this current structure, it was titled, For a Synodal Church, Communion, Mission, and Participation. And so those are the big themes, the sort of pillars of the synod, communion, mission, and participation. And so what they've done is they've structured this synod around those themes so that each week will be divided among one of those things, communion, mission, and participation. Uh, And that's going to set the stage for real discussion and allow them to get into the particulars that we've talked about, women, LGBTQ issues, various structures of church life. And so we'll have daily press briefings. So obviously our readers can follow us day to day online at ncronline.org to get the updates. But that's going to shape our coverage and shape their discussions. So we won't be lacking for content. Yeah, and we're expecting that there will be an opening session on October 4th. The Pope will give it an elocution of some sort at the beginning. And then they're going to go into both large meetings with the whole assembly and then smaller meetings into individual language groups divided by working language, right? Yeah, I think that there are about five different languages and groups of about 10 or 12 at each table and to unpack these themes. And the idea, again, is not to have scripted addresses, but for members to really ask themselves questions. And for the first time ever, they've introduced the role of theological experts and facilitators that will help enliven and animate these conversations. And again, that's another novelty. And it's, I think, again, it harkens back to Vatican II of sort of restoring the proper relationship between bishops and theologians. I think it's going to be a very interesting week, and it could be interesting, especially at the end of the week, as we start hearing more from inside the Synod Hall 
about what the discussions are like, what issues are coming up, what kind of resistance certain issues might be facing. And I think it's going to be fascinating, and it's a great time to follow us on the Vatican Briefing. I think that's going to be it for us this week. If you enjoyed the show, please plan to join us next week. We'll have another special interview with the Synod member and all the updates on the discussions at the Synod that week. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or however you listen. And you can find our show notes online at ncronline.org. Until next week, you've been briefed. Vatican Briefing is a production of National Catholic Reporter. John Grosso is the executive producer. Joshua McElwee and Christopher White are your hosts. The editing was done by David Dalt of Sandberg Media, and music is by Blue Dot Sessions. Check out more great reporting from the National Catholic Reporter at ncronline.org.